This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me David Yakobovich. He is a principal data scientist at Galvanize and he advises FutureWorks, SUNY startups, software carpentry. He is the host of Human AI and Podcast where he discusses new AI products, industry trends in technology and human-centered AI. Thank you for joining me today. Hey, Roman, thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. So how did you get into the field you're currently in? What kind of piqued your interest and where did you get started? Sure. Originally, uh, when I was just studying in college, I was focusing on physics and mathematics, very much on the research side of business. And I quickly discovered that I wanted to go more into applied sciences. So I started in actuarial science, working with IBM mainframes and the COBOL programming language back in 2010. Around that time, a lot of buzzwords were coming out about the future of data and big systems. And so I started to migrate into this Python programming language, which led me through many software stacks, including Tableau, uh, and then brought me in 2015 into New York City, where I continued consulting both in training as well as understanding how data can be relevant for small and large businesses, followed up with an AI fellowship with Columbia, and uh, today do a lot of training, advisory, and investing with startups. No, that's awesome. So where do you see kind of AI helping existing businesses that are starting off? How can they harness the power of AI or its current capabilities to grow their business or start it? Sure. So in June 2019, recently, Microsoft just came out with a news announcement. They said, the state of AI is maturing. And what they mean by that is it's no longer the AI gold rush of let's hire tens and hundreds and thousands of AI practitioners, but let's start to deploy systems for our clients to augment their businesses. Now, what that means in the grand scheme of AI is two subfields that have been rapidly matured. One is computer vision. That means using facial recognition to better understand products and customer success. And second, natural language processing, which means using text and text analysis, whether through social media comments or interaction with chatbots to better support customer success. On both sides of the coin, it's customer success that's important. And for all businesses, that's the outcome. Let's retain your customers and grow your business. No, that's awesome. I think last last year I attended the uh, the Google Cloud Summit and they discussed in detail like their AI capabilities and some of the companies they work with. So in terms of like Google, Microsoft and IBM Watson, what are some of kind of what they're you know, good at and some of the stuff they may need to improve and maybe one that you would recommend or, you know, if you would use several in terms of a business or what the pros and cons are? 
I think all these cloud companies which have evolved, Microsoft, Google, IBM, Amazon, and others, are very good at storing your data and keeping your data secure. We do see in the news often about these data leaks, but that's often a result of the software engineers not properly encrypting uh, their work and putting the right passwords and security procedures in place. So moving your data on the cloud is safe, and that's something you as a company can start doing today. As far as using products, whether that's building an app and infrastructure, that's pretty universal among the ecosystems. If you're currently tied into one of the companies, you might as well continue with the one you're at. Uh, looking at services like Amazon, Google, and Microsoft, I think all three of them are leading the pack. Typically, it's seen that in general cloud compute, Amazon and Microsoft, so which is AWS and Azure, are number one and two, respectively, in the market. Google Cloud. Uh, the new Anthem platform is third, and IBM Watson's fourth. Um, doesn't mean that they're that much better than each other, but they're all interesting platforms. The tools that are really new to all four of these platforms are the cognitive services. So that means changing voice to text, moving text back to voice, integrating AI into videos and images, and self-generating text. These are all new subfields, so no one's cracked the code on them yet. There's a lot of change that's going to occur to over time. Personally, my favorite platform is Amazon AWS. I also love Azure, so I use both of them in tandem because I have a Linux computer and I have a Windows computer. I used to work in the Apple space as well. Systems are quite nice, uh, but you know, I think they're all doing really good work. No, that's awesome. And in terms of kind of advancement, where do you see, I don't know if there's a, a word for kind of true AI, but some of the things that I know we talked offline in terms of like the Facebook uh, internal team developing AIs when they started to make their own language and, and, you know, learn and talk to each other. Where do you see that kind of heading? Because I know there's purists that think it's beneficial, then there's other people on the other side where they say it's going to be like an end game scenario for humanity. Where do we see kind of, or where do you see that heading? Sure. So I think we saw last year in the news, a lot of cases of hype. So one was Facebook, where they basically built two conversational bots through Facebook Messenger, and how the bots started to learn and interact with each other. And that was very interesting, but I didn't see too much crazy results there. The bigger crazy result was with Microsoft. So Microsoft launched their own version of to tweet bots and the Twitter bots start talking to each other by consuming all the Twitter data online. So looking at social media data um, from fast food companies and retailers, quickly the bots turn from having normal conversations to conversations that were completely driven by profanity. I thought that was so fascinating because actually one student who I work with in the education space for their data science capstone, we did a recent project where we looked at toxic tweets. Uh, it's been in the news recently that not just there's been nefarious and bad actors in many different uh, situations, but a lot of the tweets out there are not PG, right? They could be PG-13 or rated R. And what happened is these AI bots were training off um, comments that had stronger sentiment. So what happens is when you're training systems, whether on Facebook or Twitter or other platforms, often the outliers, the ones that have the strongest emotional sentiment, either positively or negatively, can stronger 
um, impact the training of the machine. And there's different techniques to improve that, but that was quite fascinating. The third one, if we're thinking about general AI and if AI is gonna take over the world, uh, last summer, uh, one of the big games in the MOBA uh, system called Dota 2 um, started um, using AI. And in fact, what they did is they had a partnership with OpenAI, the organization where Elon Musk and other thought leaders are on, to see if a computer system could beat the world's top humans. And so over the course of three months, this system continued to play against different human teams in order of more complex skills and, and better celebrity status and, and more wins in the game. Now, prior to playing in the game, uh, the OpenAI 5, as it was known, because there were five AI players since Dota 2 is a five-person game, uh, trained for hundreds and hundreds of years virtually on cloud compute systems. And the first uh, few games, uh, this was in June 2018, uh, winning them all, right? Hands down in 20, 25, 30 minutes. But as it started reaching the 99th and 99.5 and 99.9 .9 percentile, these top players, the machine started to lose and it started to do irregular tasks because it couldn't predict a scenario it had not studied before. Um, in fact, most games that the Dota 2 had played were maximum of 45 minutes. And since these games for the top players went on to 50, 55, and even more than an hour, uh, the machines started breaking down and doing weird things. Uh, this was also classic with the game Go. So Google had their own system um, called AlphaGo, uh, and it played against one of the world's top players and it beat that person four games to one. Uh, but the one game that the human won was that he completely changed his tactics. So he went completely off radar, uh, tried something that is uh, not common, uh, very unique, and then the AI did not know how to react to it and fell apart. So um, I think uh, we're not yet at general AI. I think that risk is a little overhyped. Um, I personally think we're moving to a society of humans augmenting machines. Uh, Deloitte in April 2019 coined in a new human capital management report that uh, we're moving into a world of super jobs. So no longer will you have the Goldman Sachs analyst who works in Microsoft Excel, but you'll have the data scientist who uses software like Tableau, codes in Python, and has dashboards that are measuring sentiment of brand strength each and every day. That's great. I think an important thing I was also going to highlight, if you didn't mention it, is that kind of, uh, you know, AI is going off of uh, pattern recognition. And if you throw a thing, you know, a wrench where it's something that's off, you know, the radar, like you said, or something that's, you know, a decision that's emotion driven or something straight from your gut that doesn't play out, it tends to be confusing. Yeah, I think all types of automation and all types of recognition is about patterns. Um, and today there are hundreds of algorithms and they all are trying to do the same thing for their specific task in machine learning. And that's recognize a pattern that is common and the same pattern can be recognized over and over again. When it becomes a repeatable process, then that can be automated to ultimately augment a human experience. Uh, sure, there is the risk with jobs that some jobs will be going away, uh, but I think AI is going to create more jobs in both the near uh, and the midterm. Yeah, I think AI or any other you know field where it's technology driven or even if it's not, technology can play a part in simplifying or growing the field 
you simply just have to adapt. So if you're doing one thing, learning what you can be good at and adapting with the coming technology changes would obviously be beneficial because people are just kind of, some people are stuck in terms of they're doing something now, they're going to lose that job in the future. Well, they, that may be the case in an industry, industry-wide. So adapting and learning a new skill set for the uh, coming technological changes. Yeah, and we even look at the platforms we mentioned earlier today about Amazon, Microsoft, Google, IBM, of all their cognitive and compute services, and they're beginning to explore chatbots as well. So just a few years ago, it was very challenging to bring in a chatbot, uh, and now it's going to be something that a small and medium-sized business who is wanting to digitally transform themselves can take this technology without hiring a team of data scientists or AI researchers. I think that's where we're going to go in a certain regard. There is going to be the commoditization of AI, but at the same token, there's always going to be new industries and new niche cases where AI can be applied. And what that creates is the model of arbitrage where a lot of new businesses are going to be flourishing in this age of AI or the fourth industrial revolution. And although we're seeing a lot of the change right now in the US and countries in Eastern Europe and parts of Asia, um, the whole world is still beginning to understand how it can implement AI. I think AI for social good will be really powerful. I think we can look at companies uh, that are doing good, like one is known as Iridescent. Iridescent is a company that works with um, women in tech who are both girls in high school and college age and are looking to um, better understand how to launch startups. So I think that's a company that's doing a lot of good work with Google. But I think even countries that are needing new creative solutions, AI can be part of solving their challenges. One of those countries that we see a lot in the news today is Venezuela, which has experienced a lot of inflation and change to its economic uh, for the worse in the last few years. Um, and it's, it's a very bad situation there, but could AI help reverse that situation? Whether that's from economic policy or that's implementing um, new, uh, a new workforce that's digitally. Um, I think if we start having these conversations with governments, we can do more good than harm. No, I agree. What do you think about stuff that's going on like in, um, in China with kind of like social incentivizing behavior and, you know, recording people and stuff like that? I think facial recognition is a very new market and I think it's still very misunderstood. Um, in Europe, GDPR has been taking a stance against facial recognition. In San Francisco, a bill was passed on the heels of CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, to also ban in San Francisco any public-facing facial recognition on police body cams and buses and courthouses. Um, a similar uh, privacy bill, the New York Privacy Act, is going through the New York legislature right now, which is supposed to be even more intense. Um, so I think the US and Europe are very concerned about what facial recognition can do, but I think it can do a lot of good. Uh, we see how airlines today are now starting to use um, images on people's passports and driver's licenses to automatically help you board a flight faster so that flight times are quicker, so there's benefits. But then we look at what's happening in China where there are some benefits. Yes, you can enter a train with a facial recognition that you are the certain person. But one of the interesting challenges I had with a colleague the other day was how aggressive this AI has gotten in China. So for example, 
if you're in the city of Shanghai, where there's over 10 million people, and you walk across the street when you're not supposed to, that's considered jaywalking in most of the world. And typically, the only way you get fined is if a police officer stops you and you know, slaps your wrist and says, here's a fine for, you know, 20, $30 or euros and you, know, you have to pay it. But that's not what they do in China anymore. They have facial recognition cameras all around those squares and plazas in Shanghai. And when it notices that you jaywalk, it not only notices that, but since you are living in a community that is very politically driven um, around the government, Automatically, uh, the government has access to your bank account and they can automatically charge you for that jaywalking and remove from your debit card in your account the amount of a penalty from jaywalking. So that is real. That's happening today in June and July 2019. And um, it's amazing uh, where that's going to continue going. So I think there's some risk to the system by overstepping with AI, but I also think there is a benefit. If we look at a jaywalking case, in one regard, you might say, oh, wow, that's an overstep of Big Brother. That's scary. I don't want them having access to my bank account. But on this other regards, it could be reducing bad actors, right? So if you know that, no, no, if you jaywalk, we're going to take your money. And if you're a good person, we're not going to do anything to you. Could it discourage the bad behavior? Now, of course, that's a simple case, jaywalking. I'm not talking about something such as getting barred from flying because of certain demographics um, or certain conditions that are beyond your control. Um, but that is just one case where China has decided to implement AI across society. Yeah, I agree. I think it can be implemented for social good, like you said, and other instances where it's kind of policing the society where it may get to a point where, you know, what is too much? Yeah, and that's a big question that a lot of organizations are talking about today. Um, the IEEE, the World Economic Forum, a lot of these governing bodies, both from a social construct as well as with many countries around the world, are beginning to set up AI advisory boards and ethics boards to understand the impact of implementing these systems. And I think long term, we're going to live in a world with a lot more automation and AI at our fingertips where sensors are always reacting to the decisions that you make. I think with the right uh, governance uh, from certain humans and good actors and certain advisory boards, then there should be a lot less to fear. I think if we put humans in control in the sense of, all right, let the AI make the decision. However, if you disagree, you can dispute the decision and go through a court of arbitration to have a remedy then I think there'd be a lot less stress and a lot less fear. Imagine in the future, you're looking to buy a house and wherever that's at, you typically go through a loan process, which can take several weeks and a lot of documents and a lot of people. But what if the AI goes through the whole process for you and says, you're denied the loan? And then you say, wait, what, I'm denied? Like normally I would chat with 20 different people and go through an appraisal and you know all these processes. But if the AI could say you're denied and then you can escalate that and say, let me know, what did I do wrong? How can I improve my worthiness, my financial situation, my credit, whatever factors are going into loan origination approval, then that could be powerful, right? If you can actually have information relayed back to you on how to better perform in the system, then that's a good use of AI. And that's where I hope we're going to go. I believe we have the opportunity at this inflection point in society to become one augmented by the machine. 
Uh, I think we're a long way away from generalized AI systems, but I think with the right sense of humans running on the more challenging cognitive tasks and uh, working with AI to automate systems, then we can actually offer stronger customer success for our clients and customers and live in a more robust digital society. I agree. I think where it's uh, an enhancement and a tool rather than something set in stone and rigid, like you said, you can argue or, you know, dispute something and get the facts why it was, you know, a decision was made in one way and you can basically go and, and change that decision or provide feedback where what might have not been processed, you know, accordingly, I think as a, a tool to enhance situations, it's, you know, beneficial if it's kind of set in stone and this is the thing that driving decisions without any kind of you know rebuttal or evaluation or an, an analysis then it's a little bit more kind of rigid yeah so i, I really think the overhype that people are experiencing on anxiety and stress around ai is a lot less to do with it taking jobs, because I think we're gonna have a lot more jobs created. I think the gap is gonna be about reskilling and training up the future workforce in this digital society. I think the anxiety though is not about the job change. I think it's about not knowing what the AI is doing. So traditionally we call this term black box or black box models, which means the AI is behind the scenes, it's doing its magic and it never tells you what's going on. But I think if we open up the AI models, as we just discussed, and have that information be transparent um, and available uh, to consumers and clients, then the conversation shifts to, oh, wow, this is going to change society for the better. I can get home at a certain time, and with my AI uh, refrigerator, it can start to prepare food, and it can start to you know order on my seamless app automatically. You know, all these new things that were not possible can be possible in a new IoT or Internet of Things society. Um, but once we get over that anxiety by having the right ethical conversations, which I think will be occurring over the next three to 10 years, I think that's something that's just getting started, then it will shift towards the future of work and the future of training and work 2.0. Um, in the United States, we're coming up on the 2020 election for the president, and there's a lot of candidates in the party races. And one of the core issues that constituents have been saying on NBC, ABC, and CBS polls is education. That's actually our top issue for 2020. It's not the economy, it's not healthcare, you know, it's not um, anything else. Those are all issues. But the primary issue is education. And what will my children do for work? Or what will I do for work? Or how is work changing? And threat of a lot of countries moving into uh, no longer being just frontier and emerging economies, but being developed just like the United States, it creates that concern of, all right, are we still going to have jobs? And what will work look like? And I think we can, but the conversation needs to focus more around training. And that training does need the government to step in as well uh, to offer um, more scholarships uh, to go through certain digitalization of skills. Now, the digitalization of skills doesn't have to be four-year diplomas. It could be vocational school. You know, we remember back in the 80s and 90s where after high school, if you wanted to get into skilled labor, you could go into a vocational path such as becoming an auto mechanic or repairing televisions and so forth. I think that is still a viable option 
but with new technology. So could we have vocational programs where you go to be a drone pilot or to repair Amazon's flying drones hitting the market in Blacksburg, Virginia, just in a few weeks? Um, I think that's a direction that's possible. And I'm looking forward to those conversations happening both between the private and public sector. Yeah, I, I agree uh, that that's kind of the direction it's going and kind of embracing it. Well, I really appreciate you stopping by today. What's one thing you can leave with the audience in terms of advice, either professional or personal? Yeah, Roman, the number one advice I'd share is that education is key. And education doesn't mean going through a boot camp or going through a four-year degree, but it means being aware of how trends are changing. And one of my favorite reports that we could link into after the podcast is Amy Webb's Future of Tech Institute trend report. Every year she comes out with one of them. They're about 300 plus pages on all the top trends in technology whether it's AI, whether it's blockchain, whether it's um, digital, um, all the trends have their own pages and all the companies and all the tools happening there are available as a PDF. And this is very exciting because the more you educate yourself, you can know about how to improve your business or how to improve your life. Yeah, I agree. I think being self-aware of the market and figuring out what you're passionate about and how you can develop new skill sets to set you up for the future. Perfect. Well, looking forward to sharing those resources uh, with your audience. And thanks so much for having me, Roman. So how can the audience find you? Some of the things you may have going on? Yeah. So the best thing I have going on um, is I actually have my own podcast out, as you mentioned, called Humane, H-U-M-A-I-N. It's a podcast where I interview chief data scientists and heads of AI from former White House advisors and those who advocate AI for all. Um, it's on all the major podcast platforms and also humanepodcast.com. Uh, you can feel free to check it out. And I also have my own trend reports that come out quarterly as well on where I think the industry is going uh, to help you for the future of work and the future of your job. That's awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. Yeah, thanks so much, Roman. This podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.